Man, that sunset is gorgeous. Grill, patio, sunset. Hard to get better than that. Unless you're browsing Carvana's inventory while you soak it all in. Oh, burger time. So sit back, get comfortable. Carvana's got thousands of cars under $20,000 just waiting for you. I could stay here forever. Carvana, where car buying meets comfort meets convenience. Download the app or visit Carvana.com today. Welcome to Obscurities. I'm Debbie Rashawn. The murder of young Texas couple Shane Stewart and Sally McNelly has been a mystery for decades. Family members and investigators have speculated that the killings may have been tied to a wrong crowd with which Shane and Sally got mixed up and their involvement in satanic ritual and the occult. In fact, the only picture of the two together shows Sally McNelly with a broad smile throwing up the devil horn's hand gesture. Was it innocently enough her making the universal symbol to rock on as we see in concerts, or something more sinister? For nearly three decades, there had been virtually no progress in cracking the case. In the early summer of 2017, however, a man by the name of John Cyrus Gilbreth was pulled over for a minor marijuana-related offense, and that may have been the first sign of some answers that the family members of Stuart and McNelly had been eagerly awaiting. Our story begins in 1987 in San Angelo, a ranching town in central Texas. 17-year-old Sally McNelly took a liking to a cute and muscular boy a year younger. Shane Stewart. Shane was full of life, athletic, and sported a blonde mullet, something you'd see more often during that time period. They would soon become high school sweethearts. Sally was raised by a single mother, Patricia Parks, who had Sally at a very young age. Because of this, Patricia describes that they almost grew up like sisters. This may be why Patricia was always referred to by her daughter as Pat. Patricia loved her daughter dearly, though she would start to lash out and rebel in her teenage years, as adolescents often do. Friends of Sally speculate that some of this may have been resentment at not having a father in her life. She possibly felt unloved and was looking for something to make up for it but she was searching for that love and a sense of family in all the wrong places. This rebelliousness would become a problem when Sally was out all night. It worried Patricia, and her daughter would simply respond that she was out for a walk when confronted by her mother, which seemed highly unlikely to her. Sally's friend Helen Williams would later reveal some experiences confirming these suspicions. One night, Sally invited Helen to a party, which was unlike anything she'd ever witnessed in her young life. The party's attendants were more like cult members, wearing dark hoods, surrounding a Ouija board, and joining together in chants, summoning Satan.
Helen would describe Sally as being in near hypnotic trances during the ritual. The scene was far too creepy for Helen, so she did her best to exit without making much of a commotion. These strange claims were duly established by Patricia when she got the number to one of the houses her daughter frequented. Worried for Sally, she decided to make a call to learn why her daughter was acting more strangely as time passed. Hello? The call with the mother of one of the boys confirmed that the woman's own son and friends had become involved in Satanism, with these boys even boasting of having a demon in a bottle. Helen wasn't the only person Sally would introduce to the secret group. Sally's boyfriend, Shane, would soon attend these parties as well, and Shane's father, Marshall, would notice a difference in his boy, much like Patricia did with Sally. Shane had adopted a new bad boy persona and was constantly getting into fights with other kids at his high school. One day, Shane was engaged in a fight by the Concho River in their town. Shane was alone, but the other boy brought friends. As Shane was getting the best of the boy he was fighting, he was ganged up on, and the boys threw him in the river. <laughs> it troubled Shane's father, and after a stern talk with his son, Marshall hoped Shane learned some lessons from the scuffle. The frustration of Shane and Sally's parents may have been a significant factor in why they decided to move out and into their own place together at such a young age. The parties Shane and Sally continued attending, however, would go from intriguing to downright scary and criminal shortly after. One of the cult members gifted Sally a gun, claiming the weapon was involved in a murder robbery. Fearful, Sally accepted the small handgun and returned home. Shane's conscience knew that something was wrong, and he told Sally that it was time they cut ties with the cult. At that time, Sally decided it was time to contact the authorities. With her voice trembling, Sally McNelly would call the Tom Green County Sheriff's Office in March of 1988 and speak to Deputy Sheriff Larry Counts. 911, what's your emergency? She told him about the gun and gave him more details about what was happening with the cult in which they were involved. Her claims involving the members included dark stories of drugs and group sex. She told Sheriff Counts that she was scared and that she and her boyfriend were trying to get away from the group but had worried about retribution if they were to do so. Shortly after, Counts and other officers would arrive at the apartment to retrieve the gun. But the stories told by Stuart and McNelly sounded far-fetched and a little childish even. The 1980s were marked by all sorts of stories of occult involvement in murders and other crimes, many of them unfounded. The obsession would be dubbed Satanic Panic and viewed as paranoia porn by many who shrugged it all off. However, when the officers investigated the gun, they learned it had indeed been stolen. This fact gave them some belief in the initially bizarre claims. The following month, the couple would leave their apartment and pack their respective belongings into separate cars, drive off, and go their different ways, moving to nearby towns outside of San Angelo. 
Not much is known about what led to this, but it would appear that the young lovers were no more. In June, Sally's friend Helen received a frantic call from Sally that was dialed from a payphone. They're trying to kill me, Sally would shout. Although Helen suspected who her worries were about from her quick run-ins at the parties she attended with Sally, she did her best to ease her fears. Sally sounded frightened, and that call to Helen was a definite cry for help, but Helen was unsure what to do. Although scared on Sally's behalf, she never suspected it would be the last time she'd ever hear from Sally. Shane was now back at his father Marshall's house, and Marshall would remember a strange call to their home soon after. The person on the other line asked for Shane. Shane was heard by his dad assuring the caller repeatedly that he'd have some amount of money back to them that he had owed. After he hung up the phone, a worried Marshall asked Shane what that was all about. Shane brushed it off as nothing. But Marshall made it a point to tell Shane that no matter what it was, he could confide in him. Shane said he knew that, hugged his father, and left his home for what would be the last time. On the 4th of July, 1988, Shane and Sally would meet up for the first time in three months. They watched fireworks on the hood of Shane's Camaro, kissed, and had an incredible night. After the fireworks, they would get some fast food at a drive-thru and take it to the nearby O.C. Fisher Lake. The future seemed bright for the young couple. They took in the scenery and talked to each other until after midnight. That would abruptly end at 1 a.m. when a pickup truck would pull up and disrupt the ambience. (coughs) To their knowledge, no one else was around, but fisherman Randall Littlefield was on his boat that dark night and witnessed the commotion that followed. He would recall two men getting out of their pickup and demanding that Sally and Shane get in. Sally would shout back something in the effect that they weren't into that stuff anymore, but the men wouldn't stop. Although it disturbed Randall quite a bit, it was the 4th of July, and he chalked it up to some kids partying and maybe having too much to drink, and he figured he shouldn't get involved. After some more arguing, Sally and Shane would leave their Camaro at the lake, get in the boys' pickup, and drive off. That was the last time they would ever be seen again. The following morning, when Shane and Sally were reported missing after Shane's vehicle had been discovered by a park ranger, their families were worried sick. The Tom Green County Sheriff's Office officials consoled them, but didn't seem at all worried. To them, it sounded sure to be a case of young lovers driving off somewhere and getting married on a whim. They figured, who knows? They may have taken a road trip to Las Vegas, but there didn't seem to be any foul play, and San Angelo is not a town plagued by much crime. Marshall Stewart, however, wasn't buying it. There was no way that this boy would leave that Camaro at the lake like it was no big deal. He loved that car. So Marshall made it a point in the days that followed to go to every house in the area and ask if they had seen Shane. One of these houses included the home of a boy Shane had befriended a while back that Marshall had met prior. 
However, Marshall knew that the relationship had turned sour, with Shane telling his dad that if he ever saw the boy again, things would not go well, and he assured his dad that they were very bitter enemies. Was the boy a member of the cult the couple had befriended? Possibly even the one who gifted Sally the stolen handgun? Not much is known, unfortunately, but what is known is that Marshall Stewart had a bad feeling about it. But the boy said he knew nothing, so not much could be done. Months would go by with no sign of Shane or Sally, but Marshall's fears would be confirmed in November of that year. Marshall Stewart, for months, was glued to the police scanner he'd bought, desperate for any signs of hope. One day, though, he listened in as he heard that a skeleton had been found at Twin Butts Lake, 17 miles where Shane and Sally were last seen. Marshall feared for the worst and drove right to the scene. The officers knew Marshall well since the disappearance, and their faces went white in breaking some horrifying news to the father. Although the body was not of his son, it was of Sally, with a hole from a shotgun wound in the skull. Marshall knew deep down inside that it was only a matter of time before his own son would be found as well, likely in a similar fashion. His worst nightmare was confirmed on November 14th, three days after finding Sally McNelly. Shane Stewart's skeleton, too, had now been found with a similar blast to the skull. Terrifying. The families of Shane Stewart and Sally McNelly would continue searching for answers in the years that followed, working with the sheriff's office and private investigators to learn just who committed such an atrocious act. Their lives would never be the same, and this unspeakable act would be with them every day. On August 8th of 2013, 25 years following the murders, a YouTube page connected with the McNelly and Stewart families posted two tear-jerking videos. One of Patricia and her current husband, Bill, and another of Marshall Stewart pleading with anyone watching who had any information to contact the Tom Green County Sheriff's Office in San Angelo. Unfortunately, it seemed highly unlikely at this point that any new revelations would be unearthed. That would change, however, in June of 2017, when a man who was erratically driving was pulled over. The man was 47-year-old John Cyrus Gilbreth, who police would discover had marijuana on him, which really would be the least of their concerns. Gilbreth had a criminal past, was a felon, and in addition to the marijuana, was in possession of body armor and a firearm, which he would be unable to obtain by any legal means. The man was on local police's radar, and they swiftly would be granted legal authority to search his home, and what they found would shock them. Journals of Gilbreth's were discovered, speaking specifically to the murders of Stuart and McNelly. Audio tapes with the letters SS, which possibly contained further details, though not confirmed, were also found. And most grimly, a lock of hair, a fingernail, and blood believed to be that of either or both of the victims. As far as we know, though, no DNA evidence has been confirmed. 
Was Gilbreth a member of the cult? Was he the same man Stuart's father had confronted 29 years prior, believed to be the bitter enemy of his son? Not much more is known, and the story really has no update since the arrest over five years ago. Wouldn't the biological material, specific writings to the case, and possibly more, be enough for the police to dig further? It's hard to say, unfortunately. Gilbreth remains a person of interest, serving federal prison time on unrelated charges. In writing this piece, we called the Tom Green County Sheriff's Office of San Angelo, Texas. And there we asked to leave a message for the officers handling the case, which we did. As of this recording, we have not heard back. It is fair to say that nearly 35 years later, Patricia White, formerly Patricia McNelly, Marshall Stewart, and other family members of the victims deserve answers, and they deserve justice. If you are listening and have any further information about this obscure case, we ask that you contact the Tom Green County Sheriff's Office of San Angelo, Texas, immediately. What do you want? I want to marry V. Have this baby. I want the life I was so close to having I could taste it. Till they ripped it away. You were supposed to be out. Out. I built an empire. Starting back in zero. That ain't gonna happen. We know exactly who we dealing with. If you don't give back what you stole, it's gonna get real bad for you. Swallow your pride and make peace with your family. Because this isn't good for anyone. Told you the gloves had to come off. Franklin is going to war. trying to bring this entire operation crashing down. What exactly do you need? Proof. The CIA has been selling cocaine in the United States. Even after all of this, you want to think America still cares about you. It ever occur to you this is exactly what they want? to wipe each other out. My back is against the wall. What happens in exit determines is the course of the rest of our lives. This is about survival. Do it. End this shit right now. Dream Season 6, the final season of Snowfall by FX, starting February 22nd, only on Hulu.